And one day, towards the end of the day, my buddy and I, who I worked for, were lowering a ladder, a metal ladder, and we hit an electric line that we thought we were clear of. And the estimates were that it had about 8,000 volts of electricity running through it. And I was dead for anywhere like six, seven, eight minutes, quite a few minutes, more than you should be. And I came back to life. So it was, it was one of those things in life that it was tough. I slid into a very dark place. And um, you know, thankfully, I moved through it by the, the grace of God and a lot of good people in my life. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Danny Bader. Danny is a best-selling author and sought-after speaker whose life was transformed after he died when 8,000 volts of electricity ripped through him. Then, he came back to life from a place where he connected with someone bigger than us. He uses his experience to lead people to create more perspective, joy, and a love that replaces weariness with inspiration, drives vision, and creates momentum for people in all areas of their lives. Danny has been inspiring the people of Fortune 500 companies like Merck, Comcast, the Ritz-Carlton, Marriott, and Lincoln Financial with insight and practical tools that build momentum in the midst of defeating monotony. You can learn more about Danny at dannybader.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Danny. Danny, welcome to the Corporate Couch Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this is... I look forward to our chat. Yeah, this is great. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, full disclosure, you're the first guest that I'm just meeting on the podcast while we're recorded. So that's a, it's a, just a first. I launched the podcast in late January. So, uh, but I'm very excited. You have such a tremendous background. Great. Can't wait to. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm sure we'll have good conversation, my friend. Yeah, and I have good hair, but you, your hair is even better than mine. So that's, oh, that, that's, a... <laughs> I've been told that once or twice. <laughs> Yeah, so t uh, Tab Scott introduced us, and uh, even in her email introduction, she said something about your hair, and then I'm like, oh, and I saw your picture, I'm like, oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 it's still hanging in there at yeah. 60, almost 60 years old, so. Yeah, I'm with you, I'm, I'm with you. We'll go uh, with it. Yeah, I like to kind of start off in a fun way uh, with every guest, and so we've been in the pandemic literally three years now, that we're recording this on March uh, 28th, 2023. So um, now we're all used to Zoom meetings and uh, uh, what is the craziest outfit or, or lack of attire somebody's been on a professional Zoom call with you that you've seen? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know if it's been lack of really. It's just, you know, even today, just folks in, you know, their hair, the, the women, their hair's up, the men have baseball hats on and, you know, it looks like they're, they're coming from a, uh, you know, an afternoon barbecue where they had a few beers <laughs> and then some of them have these these backgrounds that are a little bit crazy, you know, whether it be a beach in Maui or or a, a, a universe in another galaxy or something. I'm like, OK, everybody. But, uh, yeah, my background's all legit. I got a little office here in the corner. So this is all real. If you were to touch it, it's real. It's no, real. It's, my yeah, hair no, is real. I'm all about the real. So it, it's good. Oh, it's been crazy, man. Past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, we've I've had people say, you know, people have gotten out of the shower. They just had a towel around. A oh, guy yeah. had just a towel around his, you know, yeah, no shirt on. I'm like, yeah, it's it's all been interesting. Um, yes, it is. I'm I'm glad it's on the uh, over. Let's say that it's over. Yeah, I hope so. That's how that's how I'm coming at the world now. 
Yeah, so uh, you know, it's, uh, the podcast is the corporate cast. We're going to get a deep dive into uh, your uh, youth or anything like that. But I always like to ask people when they're when they're a kid growing up, what did you want to be, Danny, when you were uh, kind of a professional and an adult? Gosh, you know, I had a couple thoughts. Of course, like many kids, I wanted to play pro basketball because I played hoops growing up. And then there was a period where I wanted to be an actor. And then there was a period as well. And they were all kind of, they overlapped where I, I thought about being a priest because I had, I had a strong faith. It got a little rocked and then it came back stronger. So they, they were probably the ones. I majored in accounting in college and I never dreamed of being an accountant, nor did I practice accounting. Um, my mom just kind of talked me into it because I'm, I was a bit of a people pleaser. And she said that would be a good major. Yeah, that's funny. What, what position did you play in basketball growing up? Uh, I was like a guard, point guard or off guard, yeah. okay. you know, played high school and a little bit of D3 in college. Oh, yeah. So you were, yeah. yeah. And so you picked accounting to uh, please your mom and knew you, yes. knew you could get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and I graduated from college and got a sales job in medical equipment, which was probably one of the best jobs that we got out of all me and all my buddies. And I didn't like that at all because I didn't like being alone in a sales job, right? Most of the time you're alone, you have a meeting and then you're alone and they have a meeting and you're alone. And, uh, you know, I was in hospitals a lot and that kind of just, I'm very empathetic, you know, feeler. Yeah. Drain your energy probably. Enjoy that energy. And I didn't like rejection. So, I mean, I'm not really a good salesperson for medical equipment. So I quit and I moved to Aspen, Colorado and tended bar. And I was much happier out there doing that. So uh, did you grow up in the Philly, Pennsylvania uh, area or? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I grew up outside of Philadelphia in a town called Norristown, right near King of Prussia, Valley Forge. Um, mom and dad, one sister at the top and then seven boys underneath. So one of eight kids. Oh, geez. Yeah, six brothers and a sister. Wow. Well, you had to eat, eat fast when the food got on the table. Make sure you got some. That was it, man. I mean, if <laughs> if like... Oreo cookies came into the house or Frosted Flakes cereal or Captain Crunch Crunchberries. You better get on it, man, because it's not going to last long. So uh, you're, you know, Philly kid, graduates college, work medical sales. What what was the appeal? I mean, I, I can understand what the appeal of Aspen was, but why Aspen? Um, well, I went to after I left the medical sales, I went back down to the beach in New Jersey and worked down there in the bars and restaurants. And then that season ended. And my uncle's friend had been out to Aspen quite a few times. And he said, hey, I'm going to go out in October. Do you want to take a trip? So I flew out. We got in Denver. We ran into Trans Am. We cruised up. We came up to Vail. We stopped, had lunch, a few beers. We drove another few hours to Aspen. And I'm like, sold. I'm in. So I came back and packed up a month later and headed out. Interesting. I want to get back to that, but I have to ask, since I grew up in the East Coast, uh, New York, New Jersey area, what, where, where did you bartend in Jersey? Uh, well, I was down in Avalon and Stone Harbor area. Yeah. I spent some uh, formative years in the Belmar, Seagirt area oh, yeah. uh, growing up. So I good. know it. Yeah. It was when the, before the Jersey Shore gave people that went to the Jersey Shore in their 20s a bad name. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good memories down there. We got a little place in Cape May, New Jersey now. So, uh, yeah, a lot of good memories down there. I love it. How long did you bartend in Aspen? I was in Aspen for two winters. So I would do the winter there and then come back and then the winter out there and come back. And I was getting ready to move out there and get my real estate license. And... um I had a very interesting day uh, that changed the course of my life, so to speak. Yeah, so uh, that's uh, 1992? Yeah. Yeah, tell, uh, tell the audience about your experience. Yeah, so I was, I, I, had, I was tending bar back in Philadelphia area, and I was also working for two brothers that had a roofing company, just putting roofs on houses. Worked that a couple days and tend bar a few nights a week. And one day, towards the end of the day, my buddy and I, who I worked for, were lowering a ladder, a metal ladder, and we hit an electric line that we thought we were clear of. And the estimates were that I had about 8,000 volts of electricity running through it. And it killed me and my friend. We both got electrocuted. And I was dead for anywhere like six, seven, eight minutes is what um, an eyewitness, the other brother that was on the scene that didn't get electrocuted, came to me. So I was dead for, you know, quite a few minutes, more than you should be. And um, 
And I came back to life. My body started again, and my buddy didn't. He passed away that day. You know, 36 with three kids, just a beautiful man, a husband, father. Mm. So it was, it was one of those things in life that it was tough. You know, it was really tough losing him. I had a lot of blame on myself. I slid into a very dark place. And, um, you know, thankfully, I moved through it by the, the grace of God and a lot of good people in my life. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't even imagine that. And you're actually my second guest that has had a death experience, uh, which is, you know, I had never really heard of it before. Um, but so how did you get out of that, you know, that place after experiencing something so horrific like that? Well, it, it was a, you know, it wasn't, it, it was probably one incident that caused me to kind of focus more on getting better versus self-destruction because I went to the Outer Banks of North Carolina in October. The accident was in July and I was really desperate and I had contemplated suicidal, you know, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts and drinking way too much for all, you know, all the wrong reasons. And I called my mom from down there one day and I was half drunk and she said, when are you coming home? We can't wait to see you. And I walked out of the phone booth then just something clicked. And that little voice in my head, Jeff said, I, I wonder what it's going to be like when I get better. So it was the first time I started to focus on moving through this tragedy, right? And, um, you know, certainly missing my buddy, always miss him, but realizing that I had to move through it and continue on. So then when I, I got back home from there, you know, it was, I, I started going back to church, which I had given up because I was blaming God for everything. And I had so many people around that wanted to help me, but I just wouldn't let them in. And I'd encourage anybody out there now listening, if you're struggling, let them in. They want to help you. If they show up and they say something stupid, don't worry about what they said. Just focus on the fact that they showed up for you. Because a lot of times we don't know what to say and, and it comes out wrong. So, you know, I got my faith back. I started letting people in and I, you know, I just, I realized that there was a possibility to keep moving through this. And my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, Lisa, you know, she's a pretty strong woman, so so she kind of pulled me along as well. Yeah, I mean, it was must have been really hard for her to go through it with you, I'm sure, too, right? Oh, yeah, I was, I was, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to see somebody you care about just struggling like that, you know? There's just, you're just full of despair, and there's no energy, and, and just sadness kind of envelops you. You know, I think that's going to happen when we lose people, when we go through these tragedies and it hurts like hell. And I, I just encourage people to you know, move from hurt to healing, right? Move from hurt to healing. Because when you're in the hurt, a lot of times you can't move forward. Right. But when you see that now as, yes, this, this incident happened and I can still heal from it and move through, don't forget it. You're never going to forget that. Right. You're never going forget to forget the people. It's just that it's a different mindset, right? From, oh, shit, I can't get out of this to, all right, I, I can move through it. We can move through it. Yeah, so you, 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 you go back home, and then kind of what was your plan after that? Uh, you know, yeah, I didn't have any plan. <laughs> it was day-to-day, uh, -day, right? Just kind of survive. And then Lisa and I got married, and we had a kid, uh, our first kid, Luke, our child, Luke. And, you know, I was still struggling with a lot of things because, you don't, you know, it didn't happen like this. You know, then I went to work for MBNA, a large corporation. I was in the restaurant industry running some restaurants, and that really wasn't conducive to family life. You know, I had off Mondays and Tuesdays. Right. So uh, then we had our second child, Joey, and I'm like, okay, I need to get something a little more structure. So I went to work for MBNA, which is a large credit card bank in Wilmington, Delaware. And that's where I got over into education. You know, because you asked me what I wanted to be. And I said, priest, I also, you know, I thought about teaching mm -hmm. and coaching. So I got over into education, people development and started to do some workshops and then got my coaching certification. I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is, this is, this is what I need to do. Just do my best to support people on the journey of life, you know? Yeah, that's a phenomenal. Is the, does NBA, NBNA still exist today? I can't remember. No, they, um, I'm not sure. We had a subsidiary over in the UK that yeah. might still be uh, MBNA in around 2007 and eight sold off to Bank of America. Right. Yeah. So that's sold it. Sold yeah. the whole credit card portfolio. I think it was 120 billion or something at that time. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. To, to Bank of America. 
Yeah. But so- it was a great, you know, it was a great experience. I was there about seven years and, you know, I picked up a lot of, you know, corporate experience and, and, and growth as a, as a business professional and certainly met some really cool people. So, you know, no, no regrets at all. In your education focus there at NBNA, um, like what exactly was that from a banking perspective? Oh, it was all people development. So I would do leadership courses. I would do oh. communication courses. I would do, you know, Myers-Briggs. I was certified in that personality okay. assessment for a little while. And then I left there and went to work with a guy named David Allen, who wrote a book called Getting Things Done, GTD, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. Um, and David was based in Ojai, California, right outside of Ventura, Santa Barbara. So I kind of did a lot on the East Coast. I would, you know, do keynotes and workshops based on his content. So I really enjoyed that. And then I worked for another productivity firm for a couple of years. And then I went on my own about, I guess, five or six years ago. Okay. So I do some workshops around productivity, purposeful productivity, um, the, the vital nature of our values and vision and mindset. So it's all workshops that are developed or focused on the individual within corporations, not the business. So I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily come in and talk to the biz, the people of organizations about the business. Mm-hmm. I, I work with them on on themselves. Right. How can they grow? And I really focus on two things, Jeff. I've come to understand in my thinking, there's only two things that I should be focused on: fulfillment, which means I'm getting out of life what I want to get out of it. And notice it says getting, it doesn't say I have everything. We can be fulfilled when we're moving towards things, whether they be relationships, our own growth, you know, material things, houses or whatever, you know, that's all well and good. And then the other thing you need with that is resilience, because as you go to create a fulfilling life, you know, and you move towards trusting that maybe when you draw your last breath, you put a smile on your face. I mean, that's what I'm after. You also have to build the resilience because there's going to be times when you just, you need it. There's going to be times of struggle and uncertainty and fear, and you got to have that. Uh, I have to ask a quick question on David Allen. So I'm a, I'm a fan of getting things done, read the book, I actually went to a seminar in St. Louis. I don't think you were the uh, coach uh, at, that, uh, at least at my session, but do you have zero zero emails in your inbox right now? I do. Yeah, I do have zero emails in my inbox. And that's, uh, you know, that's what I teach in corporate, you know, some of David's principles. Um, But he's, you know, he's great, David. He lives in, um, we're in Amsterdam now. I I think he's in his late 70s or whatever, but still doing well. But he would even say with GTD, he'd say, hey, listen, I didn't invent this. I just uncovered it because I thought, all right, how can I get done the most I can get done in the most relaxed, focused? And he put together that real nice methodology. Yeah. Flow like water still, or that. Uh, yeah, mind like water, right? Mind, mind like, like water. water. Yeah. In, out. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a great guy. I was very blessed to know him, work with him, you know, because I developed also as a speaker and as a workshop, sure. you know, facilitator, and I picked up a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your Myers-Briggs profile? ENFP. ENFP. Uh, I definitely saw the E and uh, I knew it was an N, but... Uh... Yeah, I'm an ESP. Yeah, ENFP, kind of just kumbaya. <laughs> Let's not make too many plans. Although I'd like to make a little more plans. And I think I've, I've kind of moved a little bit towards the J there at the end. Yeah. But so, just to, you know, experience life and make sure that you're present in life, you know, and being grateful for every day that you have. And so you turned that death experience into a, a book. So talk about your first book and several. And I love their. Um, their uh, titles of your books, you know, anyone that can use, uh, you know, I met Jesus uh, uh, for a Miller light and right. uh, take the shit out of the show. Even, yeah. uh, you know, that's all good. I like, it's a uh, fun. So. Yeah. I try not to take myself too seriously. Right. And though I don't want people, I think there's some good content in the books. I know there is, but it's just, um, you know, oftentimes the title will get some attention. So the first book back to life is the story of a young man named Jake. And the first line of the book, um, Jeff, is why is there no blood? And Jake's looking, you go right into his world and he's looking into the a hole in the left side of his foot. And that's where the electricity came out. So it's a story very much based on what happened to me and then fictionalized a bit, to, you know, to make it more of a story and to pull the reader along. And it's just got some, you know, some powerful principles in there that I think 
you know, helped me and that I know helped me move from that place of challenge and struggle. So it's just develop vision, be still, seek support, know thyself and evolve. Just five principles that I call jackrabbit. And then I, I offer them. So a lot of times in corporate, I'll walk people through that model as well and say, hey, you know, take take any or all of these if you think they'll strengthen your approach to creating fulfillment and resilience. It all comes back to that. Wow. And then, so you, you published that book, which is, you know, phenomenal. Um, yep, thanks. And then did you have, you know, like, was there a plan? Like, yeah, I, I you consider yourself a writer, an author, so you want yeah. to publish more at that point? Or was it just like, you didn't really have it in you, and then all of a sudden... The second book. Yeah, came at that me. point I did it. Yeah, great question. At that point, I did it more. Um, you know, I always enjoyed the creative process, storytelling, movies. And at that point, I did it because um I was actually on a plane flying from Chicago back to Philly. I was working for David Allen, and there was a young girl sitting next to me. I guess I was maybe 35 or probably in that area, 35, 38. And she was 25, maybe out of college, not too long. And, you know, it's a, a late, late night flight back. I never saw her again, never talked to her, but we sat together and we chatted a little bit and I told her my story. And I told her that I was thinking about a book and I'd started it, but I couldn't really gain traction. And she just looked at me with such conviction. And she said, you know, Danny, you, you got to write that book that will support people and help people. And it was weird. Like I said, never saw her again. We didn't have emails or anything. And I thought, man, I got to do it. So I published it first as it was called Back from Heaven's Front Porch. I had a small publisher that helped me with it. And I had some wonderful editors. And then a few years ago, I got the rights to it back. And I rebranded it back to life and added another chapter, an end chapter that spins forward 20 some years after you last meet the character of Jake. So, yeah, I like it. We've got a screenplay. I've been shopping for a number of years and, you know, we get people that are interested and then they go dark and you never hear from them. So we'll keep, I sent it out today to another guy out in California. So we'll, we'll just keep going. I love it. So you, um, you, you may fulfill, uh, your acting, uh, aspirations. You may have get a cameo in your own movie. <laughs> At some point, well, our middle son, Joey is in California. He's 26. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he helped me with the screenplay. And I said, you know, you realize now you could play Jake. So how interesting would that be if you make a movie about a guy that got electrocuted and died and came back and now his son's playing him in the movie? Right. That'd be a pretty good marketing hook, I think, for people. I, I love it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep going. So how did how'd you navigate after uh, David Allen uh, Company uh, to, to build your own business, you know, just to go from, you know, working for somebody to now having to find clients, you know, getting the credibility, to yep. you know, and the trust to gain clients. What was your process? Yeah, well, that's great. You know, I, I think it was just as I got older, I, I knew the content that I was delivering for David and for, for another company that I worked for for a few years. And I thought David would always say to me and to anybody, he would say, if I had somebody in a room for an hour, four hours or seven hours, what would I want to offer to them? And that kind of always stuck with me. So then I posed that question to myself and I thought, well, depending on how long I have them, I would want to weave in a little bit of my story, let them know that their heart, their brain, and their lungs make their body go. And ultimately, there's a fourth energy that really makes it go. Call it your soul, your spirit, your life force, your energy, your consciousness, whatever you may want to call it. Um, I think the human spirit probably is one we can all connect with. So then I thought, man, what would it be like if I went into corporate and kind of offered some of this in terms of, of being productive, because being productive for me has two sides, really, Jeff. It's the tactical side. You know, how do I manage my emails and how do I get to zero and how do I use Outlook and all that? And I can teach that where needed. And then it's the other side that says, all right, what are really my values in my life? You know, what are my six, eight, 10 values? And on a scale of one to 10, which ones are low that need a little bit of focus? You know, how do I need to design my life more around my values? And then based on that, what's the vision? What's my story for this year? Let me write my whole year before it even happened. And then look at that every week. So it keeps me focused on the big picture versus getting to the end of the year. People guys say, how was your year? And they go, well, it was okay, but I couldn't find the time to. And they start naming all these things that they should have been looking at every week, right? In the story of their year. 
And then the, the other piece that I work on a lot is your mindset. You know, how do you keep that strong attitude, that resilience? How do you do it? You know, I just did a, a workshop this morning with Lincoln Financial, a virtual for three hours on mindset. That was very well received um, because we, you know, it just doesn't show up. Oftentimes, you know, there's a couple of people that are just naturally positive and resilient. And then the rest of us, we got to do things, right. you know, we got to meditate, we got to journal, we, we have to, um, you know, just, just really focus on what's going on. You know, we got to practice some gratitude to get us out of a funk, yeah. you know, there's just basic things to do. So I thought, let me bring in some more work that focus on the individual within an organization. And it's, it's, it's so much needed now because everybody's talking about mental health, right? Mental wellness. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things. Here's the thing in terms of mental health. Sometimes people will need professional help and medication. Absolutely. I mean, there was a time when that was that was what I needed. And, and there's also a lot of things people can do for themselves to boost their mental health that they're not doing. Right. And so that's where I come in and offer some of those things. Yeah, wow. I got so many questions for you on this. So uh, so you just presented to Lincoln Financial on uh, on uh, mindset phenomenal 3 hours. So what what's that audience consist of? What are what's uh, you know titles is it certain to Yeah, all department? all different. It's yeah. open enrollment and we had uh, probably almost about 20 today and yeah. there's a waiting list there. Right. So I do a couple of workshops with them. I do a a purposeful productivity which is a little the outlook piece and then some vision and mindset and then this one today is is really a lot of mindset, just really focused more on that. So, you know, when I do it in a lot of organizations, the Ritz Carltons and the Marriott's and the, the Estella Pharmaceutical and a lot of different companies really doesn't matter. I mean, I've worked with GMs of, of Ritz Carltons that are running, you know, a, a $220 million business. And, you know, I've worked with, you know, managers of front desk or, or rooms. Right. It doesn't matter. We all need to look at our values, our vision, our mindset, our relationships, our connection to something bigger. You know, that is not, that is, you're not discriminated by age or title with that. I think it, it's it's important sure. for all of us. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Especially with the COVID pandemic, I think it became so important, just the, the mental health aspect of people's jobs and themselves yeah. and navigating, yeah. you know. Yeah, it really Everything did. Everything that happened, it's yeah, it, it it's definitely important, and it's still I, people are still trying to figure it out. I think, yeah, in terms of work and professional and uh, personal. Oh yeah, so to a certain degree, yeah, yeah, and now you you know you got the generational aspect as well. Many of us from you know sixty down to fifty forty five, we're used to going in the office. You know that's how we grew up, right? And then virtual was a little bit. And then COVID came and really solidified this virtual environment work from home. Yeah. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I got different thoughts on it. Yeah. I think we're social animals. I think we're much more productive when we're together. And there's a sliver of that work from home that I think works for people. Yeah, I think it's some kind of hybrid model. That's my opinion, yeah. too. I think you need the socialization aspect of it and you do collaborate better face to face. There's no I yeah. think there's no question and it yeah. and it helps new employees embrace the culture and f- find out what the culture is. So I think it's very sure. important for yeah. that, you know. Uh, but yeah, like you said, now that there's they think the culture is uh, wearing t-shirts and baseball hats <laughs> with a you know, a background of the Maui beach. Yeah, I, I have gone on record. That was my once uh, I started seeing baseball caps in the early days of COVID on Zoom calls. I right. vowed to myself. Um, that I would not wear ever wear a baseball cap, and I'm not a. I, I wear I wore a baseball cap on my walk this morning with my dog, so yeah, I'm not yeah. against it. But I'm like I am not going to wear one, and you know now it's been you know 949 Zoom meetings, and I have not wore a baseball cap. Good, <laughs> I, I can't say that I have when I do my workshops and all. Certainly, you know, like this, sure. a sweater or something. Yeah. Um, but there's been a couple times I've been on calls, but most of the times I know the people. You know, it's just yeah. a client that I've worked with and we're talking about some upcoming events sure. or booking some more things. Yeah. You know, so there's times I may have a baseball hat on and, you know, I just came from working out. And that's not, cool. They not get, judging, Danny. It's all good. They I, get I, that, you know. I, I saw one of your daily uh, stoic uh, videos and you had a, a really nice workout headband on. So I, I'm going to try to. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll rock the so, headband at the gym, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, it's all Why good. Why not? It's all good. So, uh, besides your own death experience, uh, which you know, again, it's just unbelievable. Um, what were some of your mentors to kind of um, develop your style, and where you focused in terms of helping uh, leaders at companies? Yeah, well, I, I have a couple. I think you know, my sister. I only have one sister, and she's pretty much my best friend, and she is really responsible. Her and my brother a little bit, but more so her. Because I was getting ready to quit MBNA because when I first went there, I worked in the call centers. You know, so I had a team of 20 people that were on the phone all day talking to credit card customers. You can imagine the energy there. <laughs> and we were in retention where they were the last stop. The customer wanted to close their account. So I was getting ready to quit. I had wanted to get over into the education, you know, the learning and development training world. And I, I wasn't quite over there yet. I was making some connections and I was getting ready to quit. And I remember my sister was at my house. I think we had a birthday party for one of our kids and we were walking out and she looked at me and I, you know, I said, I'm going to quit or whatever. And she gave me a little really strong sisterly love with some very colorful language. <laughs> Philadelphia told, style. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. She's one of the best. And she said, you are not quitting and you want to get into that. This is your best opportunity to get into it. So you got a kid and you kid, two kids and your wife works hard and you got a mortgage. You ain't quitting. And she kind of lit me up in the driveway and I, I stayed with it. And then I got into it and then I left and David Allen and it all, it all kind of worked out because I, I had that focus in terms of leaders. I think, you know, the way I would offer to developing leaders is really around them knowing themselves more in terms of what is their, 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 what are their values? What is their vision? How do they approach this thing called life? How can they show up in a more authentic, caring, loving way? Because that's who I want to work for. You know, yeah, hold me accountable to my job and my performance. Absolutely. And understand that I'm a human being like you on this journey and, and I'm not perfect. So it's a combination of those. It's not the kid gloves, but it's just really respecting another person and, you know, caring for them and, and having be loving them, right? And holding them accountable. And sometimes when they're not accountable, you got to help them find another job, right? I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Here's a performance plan. I love you very much. You're not getting it done. How can we help you? And okay, if it's still not getting done, well, then the exchange of value is not there, right? I'm paying you and I'm giving you benefits and a 401k or whatever. Yeah. And you're not producing the value. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know I don't, I don't want to come in as, you know, kumbaya, everything's... Oh, right. You got to work. You got to produce. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I think yeah. Netflix. Uh, you know, they had that famous internal hundred twenty-two page PowerPoint talking about their culture um, and how they built it. Um, and you know, part of that was they would actually help people uh, with very generous severance packages. Uh, you know, the story. You know, the famous story is, you know, some accountant that was phenomenal in the early days of Netflix. She did everything, but they eventually let her go because it wasn't a good fit anymore. Mm -hmm. but, mm. they, but they were empathetic and they helped her transition out of it. And it was probably the best thing for her. Right. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, so I, I have seen some of your videos on LinkedIn about the Daily Stoic. So you, you actually read, I read it every day, the Daily Stoic. I've been doing it for five years. Uh, so yeah. Every day, that's kind of my uh, uh, Bible, I guess. Uh, so I'm I'm very interested. And I'm a big yeah. Ryan Holiday fan. I think he's really, um, you know, uh, spot on the Stoicism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he, you know, he makes it in a readable format but it, uh do mm -hmm. you know ryan I, I know you tag him on your linkedin post yeah you know i'm not really connected with him yeah. yet i got one of his books here i read uh courage is calling i read another one too i forget it yeah um i came across him a couple of years ago probably like you and i just thought wow you know those stoics really had some good strong powerful principles yeah. that have been around for a long time right and they do a good way and then i i, I kind of started to follow him i get the daily email and then this christmas I bought um, the Daily Stoic calendar. I think I bought a half a dozen. Oh, and I gave go. one to our son, Luke, uh, J Joey, our son, and Lizzie. Yeah. Myself, and I gave a couple other ones away. And I was talking with, um, I forget who I was talking with, maybe Joey or Luke. And I said, I'm, I'm thinking about just doing a quick video every day on the quote. Yeah. Just here's the quote and kind of here's what it means to me. What's it mean to you? Right. 
And so, yeah, we've, we've done, I've done it every day since January 1st. So I'll just, you know, do it for the rest of the year. Love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And I it's cool. Want- people, people seem to like it, you know? Yeah. Actually, I, I'm so into it. I, when I go on vacation, I take pictures of the days that I'm going to be gone. So I don't That's have to good. take the whole book with me. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. When I travel, I'll, I'll do, I'll tear off the days. Like I'm going down to the beach tomorrow morning. Yeah. So I'll tear off. Cause I'm really going real, I'll tear, I'll tear off tomorrow, Thursday and Friday. And you know, if you watch now, you know, we're connected. You'll probably see me on the beach at the Delaware Bay on Thursday doing the daily stock. If it's warm, I might be on my paddleboard. Who knows? Yeah. I noticed I was searching, you know, just doing some research on you. And I did see a picture of you with a, I guess it was a paddleboard. I thought it was a surfboard, but I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I like, I like them both. Yeah. You know, if the, if the waves aren't too big, I can't hold my breath that long anymore. I just need like a nice head high wave and I'm good. So I'm going to, I've never asked a guest this and I'm going to channel uh, my men, podcast mentor, even though we never met Tim Ferriss, um, you know, because he asks every guest, what's your morning routine? So I, I'm, I'm interested in yours. Just to... Yeah, my morning routine, it, it has evolved a little bit and I have one now that I think I'll probably keep. Um, my brother-in-law passed away. So I had one sister, as I said, he passed away in May of ALS after a five-year battle. He was like my other brother. I mean, he's a beautiful man and, and a mentor to me. And I had the, the gift of spending a lot of time with him over his last couple of years. One of the reasons my wife and I moved closer so I could go up and help and stay over and, and do those things. And when we would put him to bed towards the end, um, he had a hospital bed. Bobby, his name is, he was a doctor. We call him doc and the hospital bed would be flat and he would always put his legs up. He could still move his legs and we'd hold his ankles and he would push back in the bed until his head was all the way up against the headboard. And he would say more and we'd say, doc, you can't go anymore. You're hitting it. You know, we we would laugh. And um, the reason he did that then is if he was all the way back when the bed came up, you know, as it, as it pushed up to sit, it helped him breathe better if he was all the way up. And um, also he had a bad back. So we'd always do that. So probably about a year ago, Jeff, in March. So he hasn't passed away yet. He passed in May. It'll be a year. And I was laying in bed one morning and I was just feeling like crap. I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, I think a client canceled a couple gigs due to budget or whatever. You know, I just was not in the right frame of mind. And for some reason, I thought about Doc and I just leaned back and touched the headboard and just said, you know, all right, let, let's go, man. Like my whole energy shifted. Mm-hmm. So I touch the headboard every morning now. Yeah. We're all, almost coming probably a year now. And I'll do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. It's just, it's just my reset. As soon as I yeah. wake up, whether I'm in a hotel or whatever, I just lean back. I think about him and I just make sure that I'm, I'm good for the day. The checkbox really quick is I have an acronym. I offered it to the people today. It's SVMA. S V M A because I, I, I get them to focus on 35, the number 35. So I'll say, what are the most important 35 minutes of your week? And I'll offer to them that it's the first five minutes of each day. So when you first wake up and you come back to life, so to speak, what, what are you doing? You know, maybe before you get out of bed. So the S for me is I connect with spirit. I take a couple deep breaths, maybe for 30 seconds or so, and I realize that there's a God, and inside of me is that divine energy. I'm connected to something bigger. Then I go to the V is the vision. So I think to myself, okay, what's why am I really getting my butt out of bed right now? Not to answer emails. What's the bigger picture that I want to create for me and my family and right. business and everything else and, and growth? So I go to vision. Then the M is mindset. So I very quickly go up and I monitor my thoughts. Are they good or are they shitty? If they're right. shitty, I catch them and I, I reframe them. Right. And then the A is for action. I just sit there and I think, okay, what, yeah. what are two, three, four actions that I have to take today yeah. to move the ball forward, you know? So it's yeah. kind of my my check box. Yeah, I love Touch it. my head. You know, and then I get up and, and you know, I might journal. I might, you know, get a cup of coffee. I go work out. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I'll get into some work. But those first five minutes is kind of like that. Yeah, it's a... I'm a um, Miracle Morning Hal Elrod fan. He has the savers, you know, so it's very similar. So it's yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I've seen I've seen Hal before. Now I never met him in person, but yeah, yeah I like his 
his story and his style and his message is good. Yeah, I mean, he yeah he had a crazy you know worked at Cutco, set records, sales records, and then gets hit by a drunk driver. You know, yeah, you know, gonna die, never walk again. I mean, yeah, that's when you know that's yeah, a powerful big, story, bigger plan for you. Um, so that's right. Um, so you know, I'm interested, Danny, in terms of you know you've been in this coaching consulting uh with david allen in your own practice uh since about 06 what's the biggest change you've seen in leaders in that time period between when you started and today as well as what do you think their biggest what do you think the biggest biggest leadership challenge now is for them well depending on there's a couple of things it's a great question depending on the the age of the leader you know if, if you're a leader in your 50s early 60s or so there's a big challenge connecting with that generation, the younger generation that's that's in the workforce. So I think that is one of the big challenges that I see. And, you know, the connection sometimes is is more of a judgment. And I don't think that's going to get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, judging somebody's style, thoughts or whatever, you, you got to kind of seek to understand. Yeah. So I think that that's a big one. You know, the working from home is a bit of a challenge. So I'd say there, there are some of the challenges. The um, change that I've seen in leadership is the authoritarian leader. You know, I'm the leader, I'm in control, do what I say. You know, and that's kind of what was around in my 20s and in my 30s. I've seen that evolve into the more the leader that says, hey, you know, here's, here's where we got to go. Here's the results we have to produce. Here's the money. Here's the earnings we got to hit. And let me, let me, pay attention to you as a person and kind of keep a, an eye on the, how are we getting there? Mm -hmm. I think that's a good approach. I think you you know, that you talk about culture a lot. That's creating the culture. I always offer people the culture of your business is not that you get, you know, you got free candy and a pool table downstairs. Right. You know what I mean? The culture of your business is the sum of the beliefs of the people that are working there. Right. What do they believe about work? What do they believe about failure? What do they believe about innovation? What do they believe about people that don't perform? You know, that's all the culture. You know, and and it's people that show up with, you know, authenticity and respect for one another. Not you think the same way, you just you respect one another. Right. You know, the, the culture of, you know, really cool workspace and you know, all that, that helps. But, you know, you got a pool table, you know, you could be playing, you're playing pool with an asshole that works there, right? <laughs> so what, what good is the pool table? It's how can we understand, how can we respect one another, and how can we all move towards that common business goal? Right. Which ultimately is producing results. So do you think when you and I started our careers um, in corporate America, um, it was different, like 55-year-old people would treat the 25-year-old people different than they do today? Do you think there's a there's a, there's a divide? Yeah, I, I can't stereotype that and say yeah. all. Yeah, right. You know, it just seemed that the model was more yeah. that way. Yeah. You know, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, I'll listen to you, but ultimately I'm going to tell you what we need to do. Yeah. And... I think that has evolved where, you know, you're still a leader and you're ultimately going to make the decisions. I think there's just a lot more inclusion at bringing people along. Yeah. And I think there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more, you know, as I look at it now, reframing failure, you know, what can we really learn from that yeah. to move on? And then again, you know, if you've got somebody that's just screwing up time after time after time or not producing the results, right. you know, it's not the best fit for them. Right. So as you said, you have to move them on. But yeah, I, I think leadership has changed. And I've watched, you know, friends and family members that struggle with it. You know, we get together and we have a few beers and they're just, you know, bad mouthing this younger generation. You know, they're entitled. They want everything. They don't want to work. And I'm like, that ain't everybody, man. Right. That is not everybody. I know a lot of yeah. talented young people, my kids, my nieces, my nephews that are out there kicking ass, man. Right. And they are definitely providing the value to their firms and their businesses. And, you know, maybe they're doing a little bit differently than you would do it. But ultimately, it comes down to that fulfillment, you know, in life. How am I getting out of life what I want? 
a great book on um, by Ryan Holiday's "Ego as the Enemy," and it's mm. it's kind of how leaders that have egos are delusional, and it's, yeah. it, 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 it's really great um, yeah. from that perspective. Yeah, I got in in the, taking the shit out of the show, taking the sh ask. My mom and dad are still alive. My dad's ninety three. My mom's eighty five. Oh wow! And she told me that I couldn't spell that word s h i t on a book cover. Yeah. So I, I said, okay, mom, I'll put the asterisks in there. So that's why it's S-H asterisk yeah, T. Yeah I, yeah, I did notice that. But I... but there's seven short stories. And when you talk about that, it's interesting. There's one in there, Natalie. And Natalie is an, an African-American female entrepreneur that started in business and then built this huge, you know, billion dollar firm. And now there's a little back door where some people are looking to take it over from her. So you'd have to read it. I don't want to give too much away. You know, she thinks she's the victim and how could they do this? And then perhaps that's not the whole story. Right. Um, but in there, I talk about ego being, you know, if you break ego down into its acronym, I talk about it, energy gone obnoxious. Energy gone obnoxious. So all leaders have energy, right? Right. It depends on how are you using that. When you, when you turn into an obnoxious know-it-all, you're done, man. Right. You're done. Yeah. That's not the good use of energy. Yeah. That energy should be an in innovation and people development. How can we do what we do? Where can we innovate? How can we do it differently? And how can I help develop all of you so you're on board and we keep going? Love it. There's two groups I'm very empathetic to. One is somebody that's going to graduate college in May. And I like to ask great leaders and, and people that know and have been in the business and have long careers what advice do you have someone coming out of college in terms of how to, you know, pursue your first professional job? Yeah, I would say just really pay attention to your gut, to how you feel about those things. Number one, number two, realize that your first job is not going to be your last job and your second, third and fourth job is probably not going to be your last job. So just understand there's that kind of process of elimination to really getting to where you have something that satisfies you. And understand that you're not going to find, I don't think, the job that absolutely fulfills and satisfies you all the time. I, I, you know, I always find people when they're, they say, yeah, there's a part of my job that I don't like. And that's okay. I mean, there's parts of jobs that, that I don't like, you know, when you travel and your flights get canceled and, you know, now you're getting home at one o'clock in the morning or, you, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. So I, I think that's it. Just know that it's a, a process and always make sure when you're going to work, right? When you're going to work, pay attention to the, the rest of your life outside of it. Just let work be a piece of your life versus work, you know, that it dominates my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so many people get irritated with their job and they bitch about it, Jeff, because they go home, you know, and they, they don't work out and they eat crappy and they're out of shape and they binge Netflix and they go to sleep and they do the damn thing over and over again. Right. And I'm like, yeah. come on, man, hold up the mirror here. What are you getting out of it? What are the good things about your job? They go, well, you know, making good money. I got good benefits. You know, the people that I work with are pretty cool. I'm like, well, great. Let's get some energy from the rest of your life and see if everything, you know, just Right. Like Get it leave. into flow. Yeah, Work is just a part of, of who you are. Right. Leave the What's job. more important is how yeah. you are. That's why I always say to people, if you look at that word who, right, who you are is usually defined by what you do. And I'll just offer people to take the W from the front of who and drop it on the back. So now you have a how. How am I showing up? How am I being? Right. Yeah. The other group, uh, I think you'll have some great advice since this is what you do for a living. But so you're, you come out of college, you work three, four, whatever, how many years, you're an individual contributor. And now they say, you're a manager, you're a leader. <laughs> you've got, now you have your first direct reports and you're responsible for a team. What, what advice do you have for those new leaders? Yeah, I think, you know, go talk to your people. Tell them that you're very excited for the position and you're looking to help them grow and you're going to need some help from them because this is the first time you've been in this role. Get a really good mentor and just learn, learn, learn. Watch TED Talks, listen to YouTube, read books, and just continue to learn and understand that you're going to make mistakes and you'll learn from them and you'll grow. 
and, yeah. and not not to very readily go in and assume the role of leader. I am now the boss. Because oftentimes you've been at the same level of those people that you're now the boss. Right. Or right. You, you know that older, and they much know Much older that. than you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With a lot more experience. And I don't, you know, the fake it till you make it. Uh, I don't. Yeah. Don't fake anything, man. Just do your best. And where you need help, raise your hand and say, hey, I need some help here. Danny, thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're just you're you're very inspirational, motivational, author, podcaster, uh, keynote speaker. I love what you're doing. You have a great energy. I'm, I'm glad uh, Tap Scott uh, introduced us. So thanks yeah, so much too. for being on the podcast. You're welcome, Jeff. I appreciate it, man. Keep up the good work. Okay, thanks. What a great conversation with Danny Bader. I just, his energy and positivity is just so, so inspiring. And I don't know what it is about our podcast, Joe, but I mean, here, here's our second guest that has had a death experience, not near death, and what he's turned it into in terms of his life and is just incredible. But I, I just love his down-to-earth style. I mean, you know, just look at the titles of some of his books. I Met Jesus for a Miller Light is one. <laughs> uh, taking the shit out of the show. I mean, I just want to go to, you know, a, a dive bar with Danny and, and just talk about life. What was your takeaway? Just spend Joe? some time with him, yeah. You know, if I see somebody that has had an experience like he has, I always think that that kind of experience is a gift. And I hope that if I would ever experience anything like that, or maybe not a death experience, but something like that, that I could look back on it and say, that is a gift that has been given to me that I need to turn around and give back to the rest of the world, because that's exactly what Danny's doing. I hope that I have the smarts to do that, that if you're given an experience like that, treat it as a gift. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just incredible. So, Joe, you've been giving our audience some unbelievably great leadership advice. What, what's, what's today's tip? Well, today's tip comes from Brian Fantana, that great philosopher from the movie Anchorman, where he said, they've done studies, you know, and 60% of the time, it works every time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.